I'm glad to have on the podcast Dr. Kara Powell, who is the director of the Fuller Youth Institute at Fuller University. Kara is, in my view, one of the foremost experts among Christians for really guiding parents on how to shape the faith of their children. I've benefited from Kara's work. She has researched the faith of Christian young people for many years and has uh, some great insights. She has a new book out called Growing With, Every Parent's Guide to Helping Teenagers and Young Adults Thrive in Their Faith, Family, and Future. I read this book a few months ago uh, as a parent and came away with just some really profound insights. One of the things that Kara Uh, and her co-author do in this book is just really go through the various stages of life of our children. One of the mistakes parents make, uh, and I've made this mistake myself, is assuming that the techniques that worked for our children when they were six years old work when they're 16. And Kara really helps us think through every stage of life, different seasons of life, even parents uh, of adult children, which is a difficult season to navigate. So there's a lot of great insights in here not just for pastors and youth pastors, but for parents and anybody who's really interested in seeing the faith of young people nurtured. I just want to remind you, if you are a fan of The Way Home podcast, would you do us a favor and go to iTunes and go to the podcast page and look up The Way Home and put a review, a five-star review of The Way Home podcast. That just helps people find us and more people listen to our conversations. Let's join this conversation with Kara Powell. Kara, thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. It's great to be with y'all. Yeah, you have a new book out called Growing With, which I have read. Mm-hmm. And just, it was enormously helpful. You know, my, my four kids and my oldest is 14. And so there's just a lot of really great wisdom in there. And I really encourage people to get this book. But you've you've been studying really youth, and I don't want to say Christian youth, but, but primarily for, for some time now. So yeah. before we talk to some of the parenting strategies that I think are incredibly helpful I just want to ask a few questions just about sort of the state of evangelical youth and and some of the work that you've done. I mean, I guess the first question is, I think the first time I read your work was when there was a study a few years ago where you you essentially found that evangelical teens who stay in in the church, one of the factors is that they were allowed to wrestle with their faith while they were at home, while they were mm. in the church, mm-hmm. doing that wrestling inside, and it kept them there. And I thought, man, that is really, really insightful. So I guess I'm, I'm saying all that to build up to say, you know, one, um, in, in your mind, as you survey the sort of the state of uh, evangelical youth, what gives you hope and what maybe gives you cause for concern? Yeah, great question. Well, you are right that we at the Fuller Youth Institute, we try to answer leaders and parents' toughest questions about young people and faith. And so we are studying teenagers and young adults in their faith journeys uh, and trying trying to be responsive to what churches and families are wrestling with as they try to journey with young people. And I'm a parent also. My kids are 18, 16, and 12. Mm. So this is a daily, if not an hourly reality for me. Um, So in terms of what gives me great hope when I look at evangelical youth, you know, this is going to sound cliche, but how they are changing our world. You know, uh, there's something so inspiring and impactful uh, 
uh, about a young person who is passionate about Jesus and being changed by Christ to change the world around them. And I could tell story after story based on our research, based on my 30 years of volunteering and serving as a pastor in local churches of young people who are doing incredible things to impact um, their local and even global community. So, So that is what gives me the most hope. I think What causes me concern, and I'm also speaking as a parent of a 12th grader um, whose son is likely to move out of the home after after high school graduation, and so I'm thinking about, you know, my biggest hopes and prayers for him. Um, You know, I, I think for so many youth group graduates, they've tended to equate faith with a list of behaviors, a list of do's and don'ts what Dallas Willard called the gospel of sin management. Mm. And, you know, they think that if they do all those behaviors and avoid all the don'ts, then somehow God likes them more, God loves them more. And, and you know, that, that barely gets them through high school for some of them. Um, but the problem is, you know, even for those who that barely gets them through high school, once they graduate and head to college, military, workforce, um, they struggle, whether it's a, a doubt struggle, like you just mentioned, or whether it's a moral struggle. And then that faith, that's a list of behaviors, is no longer a big enough faith for them. And so they toss it aside, almost like an external jacket, um, because that's all it is for them. If faith is only behaviors, it, it hasn't really penetrated who they are and shaped their identity. So I think that's what causes me concern, is um, when I look at evangelical young people, is that so many of them um, who are heavily churched, I'm concerned that it hasn't really transformed their identity. It's become what they do, not who they are. And then that's going to fall short um, when they almost inevitably fail or struggle. um, Then they end up tossing the faith aside just when they need Jesus and forgiveness and the community the most. I think that's an interesting insight. And it seems, too, that the list of things to do that make you good or that we think make us good seems to change, right? So it seems to me now, correct me if I'm wrong, that being good looks differently than maybe it did when we were growing up, that today it looks a little bit more like being socially conscious and yep. and some of that stuff that being sort of viewed by your peers as being on the right side of things, whatever. Yep. Am, am I right in saying that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had one college chaplain tell me that, you know, if you're a sophomore in college and you haven't started your own nonprofit, you're kind of behind. <laughs> um, and, she, you know, he meant that tongue-in-cheek, but, that, you know, that that is kind of the the soup that our college students and young adults are swimming in. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I mean, and like I said, that's part of what I love about young people today. They are entrepreneurial. They are visionary. Um, and and it, as we've seen in our growing young research, you know, there's they, they change churches. When young people are involved in churches, they change churches. And at the same time, I, you know, I want young people to know, and, and this is challenging, that, that, you know, Jesus loves them no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, and God's love for them is unconditional. Mm. You know, a couple other challenges with youth today that I, I want to raise. One, I don't know if you've interacted or had a chance to read any of Gene Twenge's work on mm-hmm. teens and screens, which I, I found enormously yeah. helpful. Yeah, absolutely. But I was really stunned, and I'm sure you are, just by some of the data that on the one hand, 
there's several factors that are positive in terms of, you know, sexuality, and, you know, illicit sexuality yeah. and drunkenness and, and all that stuff. But on the other hand, there's higher rates of depression and, and other things just really related to, to screen time. And uh, I, I'm, I'm guessing you're finding some of those similar concerns. What's your thinking on that? Yeah, absolutely. I'm really glad you mentioned that, Dan. Uh, yeah, there is much to celebrate in in what's happening with risk behaviors in that um, a lot of risk behaviors are decreasing in terms of um, premarital sex, alcohol, drugs, partying, you know, kind of how I would say it is many of the risk behaviors that young people do with others are decreasing. Um, but suicide, suicidal ideation, anxiety, and depression are increasing uh, pretty dramatically among young people. They're increasing in all generations, but uh, uh, among young people, it's increasing dramatically. And while it's tough to, to prove causation, there seems to be a strong correlation with screens, which makes sense. I mean, I was just telling a friend of mine this morning as we were on a walk together early, you know, if I was a teenager... Um, who had the device access that teenagers have today, given my fear of being left out, my desire to be included, my feelings of insecurity and inadequacy, um, you know, I think I would, I would be anxious and I would be struggling more. You know, when I was a teenager, if you weren't invited to a Friday night party, you maybe found out about it on Monday morning. Well, now, if you're not invited to a party, like you see it unfolding in real time in front of you while you're in your room looking at your device. So, mm. um, so yes, I, I mean, I would say at FYI, not a day goes by that we don't hear about, think about um, mental health, mm. and we're, we're preparing to do some, some research and develop some resources for both parents and leaders on it, because it, it is a... It, I don't want to say epidemic, but it is such a growing problem and crisis that caring adults are realizing they need help responding to. Mm-hmm. So so the second thing I wanted to ask is, I'm talking about teens and their faith. Yeah. I'd love for you to speak a little bit about the importance of of kind of rhythms. Um, you know, Jamie Smith in his book, uh, You Are What You yeah. Love, talks about, you know, uh, how our habits shape us. And so if you're speaking a word to parents about the importance of those sort of uh, good spiritual rhythms, going mm. to church and spiritual disciplines and how they shape kids, uh, uh, I'm sure you have insight on, on on how that works. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, well, I, every family is different in how they're manifested. and But the, the important thing for families to do is to figure out what spiritual connection points are the most meaningful to your family, and I would even say are meaningful to your own kids. Um, and one of the things, and you know, Dan, you're, with your oldest being 14, you're probably just transitioning into this. When our kids were in elementary age, you know, we did family devotions, we did one-on-one devotions generally as we were tucking our kids in. And then as they hit middle school, high school, we realized we needed to respond more to who they were as individuals. And so one of my favorite questions, and, and I talk about this in our Growing With book, one of my favorite questions to ask a young person, teenager, young adult, including our own three kids, is when do you feel closest to God? 
Um, when do you feel closest to God? And then as a parent, how can I make sure that I facilitate as much of that time as possible? So our son, you know, I've been asking him that question since fourth, fifth grade. And for him, it's been uh, when he leads worship or when he, when he does worship. And so, you know, he's been involved in weekly guitar lessons. He helps lead worship at our church two out of three Sundays. And, you know, until he had his driver's license, I was the one driving him to church for worship rehearsal. And I'll be honest, you know, there were some Wednesday nights, some Thursday nights where I just wanted to stay home. I wanted him to stay home. I, you know, I, I wanted everybody home. Um, but it was worship rehearsal night. And I thought, uh, this is how Nathan feels closest to God. Um, and, it, you know, knowing that about Nathan is what part is part of what kind of gave me the motivation to get those car keys and, and get that boy to church uh, for, mm-hmm. for worship rehearsal. Our, our second child, Krista, she's an off the charts extrovert. And when we ask her, when do you feel closest to God? When she's at church with her friends. Um, and mm-hmm. so, you know, we try to, we prioritize church activities. We have church activities at our house. We have church kids at our house all the time. Our youngest child, she's more of an introvert. Um, and uh, she's been feeling closest to God when she's outdoors by herself. And so, you know, we try to facilitate that for her in our backyard and, you know, taking hikes with her, etc. And so, you know, one of the things that I've come to understand is people's connections with Jesus can look differently. And so as a parent, figuring out and, and just having a conversation with your kid about when they when they best connect with Jesus and then facilitating that in your family calendar has become a goal for my husband and me. Mm, that's good. That's something that, you know, parents, we, we parents have to really be sensitive to that and really try to, you know, not just have a sort of, this is what we're doing mentality, but uh, kind of be sensitive to that. And that that can be, you know, require adjustment on our part, you know. So you have this great book uh, called Growing With, and uh, I'd like to ask several questions about that because I, I found some of the insights really fascinating. Um, but first, if you can just maybe describe, you, you kind of do this in the first couple of chapters, but describe what what is growing with parenting? What do you mean by that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I what I can relate to myself as a parent of teenagers and young adults and what Steve Argue, my co-author, and I um, found in research and certainly as we interviewed uh, over 75 parents is that uh, we're afraid as parents that as our kids grow up, they're going to grow away from us. Our families are going to grow apart. And so we wanted to cast a vision and give parents skills for a totally different kind of parenting that doesn't grow apart, but that grows with our kids, that recognizes that our kids are changing, our kids are maturing, which means we as parents need to respond to who they are and what they need now, um, which which is often different than what they needed a month ago. Um, and again, every kid's a little bit different. So it, it means that we've got to really pay attention to who each unique child is. And so in the book, we talk about um, that a 13 to 18 year old is in a learner stage. You know, they're, they're just learning so much and growing so much physically, intellectually, um, emotionally. And then at about 18, that, that learner transitions to being an explorer. And mm. that lasts until about age 23. They're moving away from home or home-oriented routines. They're excited, but also a little overwhelmed or even scared about opportunities. And then at about age 23 to age 29, that young person transitions into being a focuser. They've eliminated certain vocational 
um, and even uh, worldview and relational options. They, they focused on others. Many times they feel ahead of the game. Probably more often they feel behind uh, where their peers are. And so, you know, if you think about a learner, then an explorer, then a focuser, well, that means that we as a parent need to respond differently based on what our kid is going through. And so growing with is all about how we can keep growing alongside and journeying alongside our kids in a, in a mutual journey of intentional growth, trusting God to transform all of us. This was really enlightening to me because, you know, just as a parent, it and, and you really urge parents to not, to, to really discern what season you're in with your child. Yeah. So the strategies that you might have used when your child was six yeah. are not going to work when she's 14, right? Right, and, right. And so often we are just so stuck in that mode of when they were younger. And I, and I wonder if it's actually, I, and I'm curious about this, you know, with your first child, if, if it's you know, you're more prone to do that because you're, you're sort of learning as you go through all the seasons, you know. But, yeah, I think quite possibly, yeah. But but maybe speak to our need to just really discern what season our kids are in and adjust yeah. our parenting strategies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So first off, I want to tell your listeners, I want to make sure to say this, um, that if they go to growingwithbook.com, that's growingwithbook.com, we have a free 10-question quiz that any parent can take about their kid, um, takes about five minutes, and it will help a parent figure out, identify, is your kid in that learner stage, that explorer stage, or that focuser stage? Um, and so you can get a, a quick analysis of where your kid is at, as well as a host of suggestions to help you as a parent. And this is, again, totally free, takes five minutes, because we want to help parents you know, have a great first step. And that first step is to know where your kid is so that you can respond to them. And so, again, that's growingwithbook.com. Now, having said that, you know, parenting, it takes, a, it's both a science and an art, right? And sometimes we regress. And so, um, you know, as a parent of a 12th grader, we're navigating the college application scene. And so uh, about a month ago, um, my son got an email and it was from one of his top choice schools that there was a hiccup with one of his letters of recommendation. So he came to me that night um, with, you know, with this information. And he said, so I think I'm going to go to Mr. Shelton's office before school. And then I'm going to talk to my college counselor. And I thought, great, you know, my 18 year old, he's got a plan. Um, you know, he, as an 18 year old, he's really transitioning from learner to explorer. Um, and I thought, you know, awesome way to go, Nathan. Well, the next morning, I just wanted to make sure that Nathan really, you know, had that plan cemented. So I couldn't resist the temptation. I, I swung by his room on my way out the door and I said, okay, bud, so remind me, what's the plan today? And he, he looked up from his laptop and he just looked at me and he said, mom, I got it. Um, and that was his way of saying, mom, back off. Like, I'm on top of this. Mm -hmm. And before our research, I think I would have been offended by that. I think I would have said, you know, Nathan, this is really important. Um, can you please remind me what you're going to do with Mr. Shelton and the college counselor just to make sure you have everything covered? But because of our research, I thought, yeah, you know what? He is transitioning from a learner to an explorer. And, and I need to back off as a mom and not be so involved. Um, and so, you know, I, I just want to say as a parent myself, I'm continuing to grow and do some things right and a lot of things wrong and try to learn from my mistakes. Mm. You also have three categories 
called withing, faithing, and adulting. Can you yeah. speak about those categories? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what we wanted to do is give parents um, tangible ways that they could connect with their kids, grow with their kids, and their family relationships, and their faith, and in their future. And so withing is a verb that we made up. Um, and the goal of withing is that as, as your kid is maturing, as your kid is moving developmentally appropriately into independence and hopefully on their way to uh, interdependence, that your family can grow in supporting each other, even in the midst of your child growing more independent. So we give all sorts of tangible ideas. Um, you know, what, how can a parent respond to that kid who is taking steps away? What does it mean for a parent to be a, a place of unconditional support? And then faithing is not a verb we made up. That's actually a verb from Sharon Delos Parks. And um, I love the idea of faithing as a verb because while it's certainly a noun, faith is definitely a noun, uh, the idea of faith as a verb it communicates that our faith is always changing, growing, evolving, stretching. We're learning new things. And I, you know, I just want to say for parents of teenagers and young adults, um, you know, your child is going to have new questions. Your child's going to come to own their faith and they might own parts of the faith, uh, that, that is yours very strongly. And they might, they might come to hold parts of faith that's important to you a little bit more loosely. And, and what I want to encourage you to do, what I'm trying to do as my kids are in that process of discerning, you know, what it means for them to follow Jesus is to keep talking to them. Um, and, you know, in, in the book, we give these two great questions that I actually got from my co-author, Steve Argue, who's used this with his 20-something daughters. I love these questions. Um, what do you no longer believe? about life and faith that you think I still do believe? And what do you now believe about life and faith that you think I don't believe? Um, and I love asking those questions to my high school students, um, and especially our 18-year-old, because I, I want us to be able to talk about how we're faithing and how we're growing and, and continuing to expand our vision of what it means to follow Jesus. Um, and then that last verb, adulting, you know, it's a pretty well-known hashtag on social media. Uh, and young adults wear shirts that say, I'm hashtag adulting. And it's just our way of communicating that as a parent, as your young person is, is moving into their future, how do we help them have a greater sense of agency? And yet you are still supporting them um, in ways that make sense. And, and that looks differently for a 17-year-old than a 27-year-old. So yes, those are the three big verbs that we track throughout our Growing With book. One of the key insights, I think, that's going to be, well, there's, there's a lot of stuff in this book that's incredibly valuable, particularly as you're talking about parenting through the teen years, which you know, I'm, I'm doing right now. But there's a lot in here about parenting adult children, which I feel like is an underdeveloped aspect of, you know, parenting, particularly in sort of the Christian world. And I don't have adult children yet, but I have a lot of friends. And in fact, I have to have a conversation at church the other day with uh, my pastor and uh, one of the elders, and their kids are a little bit older than ours. And one of the things they were all remarking, saying, you know, parenting adult children is really difficult, and there's not a yeah. great playbook for that. And so maybe you could share some insights about that season of life that can be, you know, just hard for parents to kind of know their place. Yeah, I'm glad you asked about that. 
you know, census data is showing that um, young people are getting married five years later, having babies five years later, becoming financially independent five years later, finishing school later. And so, you know, this has ramifications both for families and for churches. Um, you know, it, it's no longer young people getting married at age 23. They're getting married more at age 28. And so that raises new questions about how we parent in those mid-20 mid twenty years, as well as what it means to minister to those mid-20-somethings who, you know, are no longer um, predominantly in the young married category. And so, you know, in the book, we get into really practical issues like what do you do when your child boomerangs home? Um, should you expect them to pay rent? Should you give an end, an, an end limit um, to the amount of time that they're allowed to stay at your home? Um, you know, what kind of expectations should you have in terms of what they contribute to the family? Um, how do you handle it when your young person is, especially your 20-something, is dating somebody that you don't feel good about? When do you speak up? When do you not? Um, so those are all really complicated questions that, that need to be, I think, need to be handled differently with a 24-year-old than with an 18-year-old. Um, and so, so, so we, um, we try to spell that out for parents and, and help them figure out how to be true to themselves and their values while still communicating on support. Um, and, and that is tough for parents to do. How do I, how do I have integrity to what I believe, um, especially when I feel like my child is straying while still supporting them as a person? Mm. You, you've shared some practical insights, even from some of your, your journey with that too. You know, for someone who is parenting adult children, maybe offer some uh, maybe reassurance or or comfort, you know, because those, the years, you know, your t- early 20s, I remember myself, you probably remember yourself too, you're trying to f- find yourself a little bit, figure out what you're going to do in a career, you're not quite yeah. settled yet. And yeah. for parents watching that process going on organically, it can be kind yeah. of painful. Like, is yeah. my kid going <laughs> to land? Are they going to, is anything going to stick in terms of a career, you know? Uh, and, and, you know, how do you know when to sort of helicopter in and rescue and help? How do you know when to sort of back off? Maybe give some words of encouragement. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, first off, you know, one of the things that we talk about is what's important is that your young person have some goals. Like, you know, drifting aimlessly in your 20s is not okay. Um, And and we talk about that in the book. What we want for them is to have some clear, tangible goals that they are making progress to, and that those be goals um, that they're communicating about with you as a parent so that you can support them, so that you can be praying for them, et cetera. So, so, you know, that would be one thing that I would say would be very, very important is clear goals. Um, secondly, you know, I, I think we as parents need to understand that a young person's progress toward a long-term job looks different now than it did a decade or two or three ago. And so, you know, that, that part-time internship that we might be skeptical about, or even that unpaid internship that we might be skeptical about, you know, often that's the very thing that helps a 23-year-old figure out what God's calling them to, that builds the relational network they need, that gets them that job. So, you know, I would say it's incumbent upon the young person to make sure that they have goals and a plan and they're making progress toward that plan. And, you know, maybe the parent is not the person that's best to hold them accountable to that plan. Maybe there needs to be other adults in the scene um, who are are helping that young person make progress. 
uh, and mentoring them. Um, and at the same time, I think for we as parents, we need to hold more loosely to our conceptions about the right steps toward a long-term job. It's often a more circuitous path um, for young people today. But, but you know, rest assured, the vast majority of late 20-somethings are in a long-term, full-time you know, viable, meaningful, sustainable career path. It just takes them a little bit longer. Uh, but I will say this, often it's, it's the when we saw this so much in our research, it's often a young person's time serving, whether it be in a church or a nonprofit, that gives them a sense for their passions, their skills, their sparks. And so for church leaders who are listening, boy, the role that the church plays and nonprofits play and helping young people explore their gifts cannot be overstated. Um, and, and similarly for parents to encourage our young people to serve as part of the process of discerning your vocational call. So one of the things that is really memorable from, from the book uh, in, in the surveys that you've done is that when it comes to young people and their experience with church, uh, you said that warmth is the new cool. Can you, ex- can you explain that? Yeah, you know, this was from our growing young research, and we studied 250 churches that, um, in the midst of so many churches aging or shrinking, these churches are thriving and doing great work with young people. And, you know, one of the senior pastors we interviewed said, for young people today, it's not about being hip. For young people, warm is the new cool. And we saw that in our data. What young people cared about is being known, feeling relationally connected. Um, sure, if a church is hip, if a leader's hip, that that could be a plus. But honestly, the majority of leaders we studied who were effective with young people were not hip. Um, the majority of churches we studied who were effective with young people would not be described as cool. Sure, there were some of those in our study. And if that's you, awesome. Keep being that. Keep doing that. But for those of us who don't feel like we fall in those categories and our churches don't fall in those categories, there's still so much we can do to love and serve young people because warm is the new cool for young people. Mm. Well, Kara Powell, thank you so much for your work and uh, the way that you really help us as parents and pastors and church leaders. Uh, We will put all the links to your books and uh, how to follow you online in our show notes. Thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks a lot, Dan. Great to be with you. Thank you for listening to The Way Home Podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please let us know by writing a review on iTunes. You can catch previous episodes on danieldarling.com. The Way Home is produced by Gary Lancaster and scheduling by Marie Delph. The Way Home is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention.